Hey, where are you from? So, uh, what do you do? That's what you get asked a lot, right? When you're meeting someone new, at a party, your dating profile. So tell the world the answer to both of those questions at the same time. We figured out how. We just launched a brand new online store that has all 50 states represented with gear for physical therapists. Now at ptpintcast.com. A stainless steel tumbler for a PT in Tennessee? Check. South Carolina physical therapist t-shirt? Yeah, we got that. Face mask for a Florida PT? Check and double check. Great gear for life, all showing off your profession and your home state. PT gear store available now at ptpinecast.com. So go there and you can show off your profession and home state at ptpinecast.com. We talk PT, drink beer, and record it. Like craft beer for your ears. This is the PT Pinecast. All right, we are live back on the show. We've got an exciting episode for you lined up. Before we start, I want to talk to you about something we've been working on behind the scenes. I'm going to throw it on the screen for those of you watching uh, on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. It is the new ptpintcast.com store. People were always asking, hey, can you throw this on a t-shirt or can you throw this on a pint glass? Now the answer is yes. So uh, what will you find at the new store at ptpintcast.com? Uh, we had our graphic designer take all the 50 U.S. states and their flags and whatnot and put them on stuff. So you can show off where you live. Like, I don't know, maybe you're a physical therapist from Missouri and you want to show off your physical therapy from Missouri-ness on a face mask or a, a, a tumbler. Maybe you want to get some tumblers in your life for, I don't know, some sort of beverages. Uh, you can do that. So, you know, just gift sort of stuff. T-shirts, tumblers, face masks, cell phone covers, all things PT related, and it shows off what you do and where you do it online now at ptpinecast.com. All right, let's let's uh, let's get out of that way and, uh, and start the show. I'll stop yammering now. All right, welcome to PT Pinecast, a podcast that saves physical therapists from missing out on amazing insight, remarkable ideas, and motivational stories in the world of physical therapy. Look, I even said it before it came across the stream because I memorized it. Um, we try to get into different corners of the world, and this is one of those things where if it was a Venn diagram of what we do, I'm saying we as physical therapists, and what our patients need, um, this is one of those things we should probably be better at, or at least maybe not be better at, but know who is better at it so we could talk to them so that we, and now we're a team, uh, can help our patients a little bit better. So uh, if you have any questions while we're recording this live, again, on the socials at PT Pinecast, if you're watching the live stream on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or, or excuse me, or on YouTube, uh, drop a question or a comment. Let us know where you're watching from. I am always very confused how the show gets places, but it confuses me, and I like to know where you are and more about you. I want to make this all about you. Um, so drop a comment uh, if you're watching it live or if you're watching or listening to a replay, do that. So without further ado, and believe me, you know I love me some ado, uh, our guest today is a pain psychologist and professor at the University of California, San Francisco School of Medicine, where she teaches pain education for medical residents. She is the co-president of the American Association of Pain Psychology and serves on the board of the Society of Pediatric Pain Medicine. Plus, she's the author of two books. Uh, writer for Psychology Today, and is a 2021 May Day Fellow developing integrative pain programs around the world. Let's get some applause here on cue almost for Rachel Zoffness. Rachel, welcome to the show. 
I've never had anybody pipe in fake cheering before. That's a first for me. I'm delighted by that. Thank Listen, you. As a psychologist, you got to know I'm home all I'm home alone all day. I work from home. Oh, I'm so you sorry. Gotta, you got to pipe in your hype, you know? It I appreciate just, it. You would know exactly why I, a person like me needs something like this. But uh, Rachel, <laughs> welcome to the program. Thank you. I really appreciate it. I have to say, I never get used to people reading my bio while I'm listening. It just feels so weird every single time. I am the same. And yeah. so I have had a couple times where um, uh, my intro has been one sentence. Jimmy's a physical therapist and uh, Jimmy's a, a physical therapist, podcaster and weirdo. And people and he like, likes beer and he likes beer. But who? Yeah. Well, some people don't. But oh, so first questions before I forget. First questions, always the hardest. What are we drinking? I am drinking bourbon and I am drinking it neat. Wow. Anything good? Because I do like to like branch out and like try new types of bourbon. I'm just getting into bourbon this year. That's what the pandemic gave me. <laughs> I'm sort of into bourbon. I think I prefer it over beer, actually. I hope that doesn't change your it opinion doesn't. of me. Oh, so I'm so comfortable be, with it if it does. We can be clear. A pint <laughs> is just a vessel to put anything you want in it. I didn't say I it agree. had to be beer. All of the logos repeat the pint, but uh, I'm drinking just a vodka soda because you inspired me to not drink a beer uh, two shows in a row because we just talked to Danny Matei. So, That's um, really smart. Cheers to you as we cheers, friend. virtually clink our glasses. That's great. Cheers, everybody. First round is brought to you by our friends from uh, Owens Recovery Science. They're a single source for PTs looking for certification for uh, personalized blood flow restriction rehabilitation training and the equipment you need to apply it properly in clinical practice. I'm not even reading this anymore. They've been a sponsor so long that I can just do this. Online at owensrecoveryscience.com plus their podcast, conveniently titled the Owens Recovery Science Podcast, on iTunes and all major platforms. Didn't read any of that. Just that's what we call live read in the biz. Just grip it, rip it. Uh, all right, we got that out of the way. So your intro is really cool. And in full disclosure, we talked yesterday, just like kind of a prep call. And I don't do that with everybody. But man, we should have recorded that. Because I that wish was, we had. We're going to do great stuff tonight. But that was really fun. It was really um, fun. So background, your intro, we just mentioned like it's a little weird to have someone read you your intro while you're sitting there waiting to come on stage or on screen or whatever. But yeah. you've got a lot of cool stuff going on. Like, you think what? so? Uh, yeah, I think. See, and I mentioned that right in the intro with this is me doing my air Venn diagram where things cross over. Um, I like I love physical therapy and all the things it can do. And then the the stuff that's like on the fringes, like the stuff where it crosses over, like pain psychology it's like oh yeah 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 like we learned about that in school and it's almost like a question like i trail up we learned about that in school like we learned about no yeah we learned about like fibers and yeah tracks but like other than that and that's what those are the things that excite me or i they're the areas that we can kind of probe around our edges because i think i talked about the, my theory on comfort zones yesterday which is like i retreated into my people say hey step outside your comfort zone um because that's where the real development is. And I didn't do that. I actually, I like a hamster. I got in my comfort zone and then I walked around. So I got back in, I was in physical therapy and uncomfortable there. So I started a podcast so I could use my podcast to walk around the physical therapy world. So it's like, I didn't step out of my comfort zone. I just brought it with me. I think you're doing great. I feel proud of you. Thanks. You're so, welcome. So what about like, let's go to the origin story for you, pain psychology. Like what about that drew you to that 
little corner of the of the profession of yours. Yeah. Okay. So I'm a real nerd, like capital N nerd. And anyone who's heard me talk already knows this about me. So I went to school for 400 billion years because I could not figure out what I wanted to do. I wanted to do everything. I wanted to be a physician. I wanted to be a neuroscientist. I wanted to be a psychologist. I wanted to work with kids. I wanted to be a science writer. I wanted to be an educator. And by the way, I spent a long time doing all of those things. Like undergraduate, I started studied brain and behavior. I went to Brown. I like really didn't do much except for read books as a kid. I was not cool. Like you guys, all the PTs are like, they were cool. They were like athletes. I was the library mouse. I was like by myself in the library reading books. So true story. Um, and then I wanted to do more. I wanted to like dive deeper into the brain and behavior, but I wanted to do something more applied. I really wanted to work with people. I was a science teacher for a year at the Wildlife Conservation Society also known as the Bronx Zoo. It's the coolest job I ever had. It was like science and kids. What? You have, you have well, something to say. I, can I was going to say, because when we had like encountered each other online, I would like read your bio oh, and yeah. I thought, it was like, you had me at Bronx Zoo. I don't yeah. know after that, talk to me about the Bronx Zoo. So like wild, wild educator, like you were like, so these are tiger cubs and tiger cubs eat this and whatever. No, better. It was better than that. It was really nerdy eight to 12 year olds, which I have just disclosed I was. Um, and we would pick a subject, you know, we would pick like evolution and we would talk about opposable thumbs and we would do like a whole thing on opposable thumbs. And then we would take the kids to visit the olive baboons. The problem with the olive baboons is that they were always doing really inappropriate things to each other, which I'm not going to say on air, but like really deeply inappropriate. And the kids are like, why are those baboons doing those things to those other baboons? And we would just have to make up stories. It's amazing. Oh my God. It was an amazing job. I have to say, I woke up every day. So excited to go to work. But I knew I couldn't really, it wasn't exactly what I wanted to be doing. I really wanted to be helping people. I love teaching kids and hanging out with nerdy kids, but it wasn't enough for me. Yeah. So I went and got um, a master's in psychology and education at Columbia. And I did some science writing at a nerdy magazine. And neither of those was exactly right either. So I went and got my PhD at UCSD. Um, where I got to take some really cool classes with psychiatry residents in med school. And that sort of satisfied my itch to do both, you know, like psychology is sort of considered a soft science. And I, I studied neuroscience and I wanted both. And then I did my postdoc and internship with a more medical population. And I did mindfulness-based stress reduction and cognitive behavioral therapy for chronic pain, um, woven in with a bunch of other things. And I really got hooked on pain. And it's a rabbit hole, as you know, like once you start reading about pain, especially if you're a clinician and you're treating patients, it's just so hard not to get no. obsessed. Because there's human, there's a human involved. So there's a human involved. That's like no matter how many times you do it or how many humans you do it with, it's every, it's gonna be different every time, right? I mean, different every time, right? The other thing that that I'm passionate about when we talk about pain is the fact that no one gets taught about it, like you were saying, right? You know, right. I knew Physios. About that's about it. Right. 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 Psychologists don't get taught about it either. I mean, there's this weird divide in Western medicine. Either you have emotional pain and you see a psychologist or a therapist, or you have physical pain and you see a physician. And as those, you know, nerds who study pain know, that's not a thing. When it comes to pain, it's processed by your limbic system, which is your brain's emotion center, right? So pain is physical and emotional 100% of the time. Negative emotions and trauma and depression and stress and anxiety amplify the pain you feel. So people are talking about, oh, you know, either physical or emotional and you have, it's separated out in pain medicine. But, but it's very rarely taught. It's, it's rarely taught in medical school. It's rarely taught in psychology programs. I actually think physios are leading the charge when it comes to pain education. Like podcasts like this one, yeah, go. It, I was going to say, it's, 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 it's definitely become, and I've 
been in, I graduated in 2016. So I'm using air quotes here. I've been around long enough, but I believe me, I know that people 20, 30 years are looking at Jimmy going, don't you talk about that. But like, I've at least been around long enough to see the news cycle on trends in our profession come and go. And this pain and this, this pain thing, as I use air quotes has thankfully, I think come and stuck around where people are like, no, 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 this thing, this is a thing we need to, this isn't just going to fade out now. That's right. And when I got my hands on those books, especially because I started treating pain patients and I just like didn't want to stop, I was accumulating and inhaling all these books that I could find. Like um, there's one called The Science, it's called Pain, The Science of Suffering. Um, I, I read everything I could by Malzac and Wall, who, you know, the gate control theory of pain, yeah. those guys. And I got my hands on every CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy workbook I could get my hands on. I, I mean, I was reading everything, everything by Laura Mermosley and Adrian Lowe, like everything. Um, and what I realized was that there really wasn't, it hadn't really been synthesized. So there's like pain psychology over here and pain medicine over here and anesthesiologists over there and physiatrists over there and PTs and OTs and nurses, but like when it comes to pain education, there's, there's not, it's not integrated. Everybody was understanding, Hey, this is important, but like we were all doing it in our own ways and nobody was communicating. There was no cross, there was no crossing over. Right. And that continues to be true. And even better, I walk around like spouting the statistic all the time because it floors me every time you're going to like this one, Jimmy McKay. Yeah. 96% of medical schools in the United States and Canada have zero dedicated compulsory pain education. Hold on a second. Say that one more time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you need to take a big drink before you? Just go. 96% of medical schools in the United States and Canada have zero dedicated compulsory pain education. What? What? That was what I was getting. Thank you. Sound effects. It's like, no wonder we've been throwing pills at pain. No wonder we have an opioid epidemic. Like, like people don't understand what pain is. We're not teaching it adequately. And by the way, not to throw physicians under the bus, this is true across disciplines. Like, psychologists don't get trained in pain. We, we only treat emotional pain. Like, when I refer to my colleagues, they're like, can you please not send me any chronic pain patients? I'm not trained in pain. Like, it's just, it's ubiquitous across disciplines. And what I see, what we've seen anyway, and this is just anecdotal for me noticing it, there are like, there are what you just mentioned, there are two types of physios. And there are the people who are like, give me all your chronic pain people. Those are my people. I want to work with those people. And there are people who go like, you can have those people. I don't want those people anywhere near me. And there are likely enough of those people dealing with chronic pain where we need more people to say, come to me. I not, not only do I want to help you, they probably the providers anyway, the PTs are probably like, I'm probably not equipped. I don't know what to do. So don't send them to me. So we need to equip those providers better at, as per your statistics two seconds ago. Yeah. And I do think that that's a major issue. I think there's two main reasons that a lot of healthcare providers don't want the chronic pain patients. One is just lack of understanding. Like right. I think a lot of us just feel like this is out of my wheelhouse. It's out of my league. I, I remember the first time I got sent, I, the first patient I saw with chronic pain was a 16 year old and he had been in bed for four years. And I'm not kidding. When I first, I, I mean, I'd been training and reading and studying. I, I did my undergrad honors thesis on pain. It's not like I was like new to it, but I was so scared. I was like, this family, this child's like, it felt like this child's life. They're putting it in my hands. And he's been yeah. to Stan- Stanford and UCSF and all these amazing institutions. And if they couldn't do it, who do I think I am? Of course, I had like major and still do like massive imposter syndrome. Like, who do I think I am? But, but, but just to say the kid got better with a course of CBT and like got back to life and got out of bed and got asked to prom and started playing soccer again and is now in college. And it's like one of the best stories of all time, but not the point. The point is, I think it's very intimidating 
for people who are not trained in pain and even for those of us who have some training in pain. And now I love it. Now I feel like I got this. You send me the hardest people. I got it. Like I know at least, at least I'm going to throw my best at it. Like I can't, I'm not going to pretend I can save everybody. I cannot. There's definitely people I have not helped. So I don't, I don't want to pretend I'm like some miracle worker, but, but at least I feel confident. I think that's something we need to, to give our healthcare providers is confidence that they can treat chronic pain because it's not rocket science. You can't, I mean, there, there are treatment protocols out there. There are integrative, effective treatment protocols out there. I just think we need to put them in the hands of clinicians. So, so you, you mentioned one key piece of information or two key pieces of information, the statistic that 4% are actually getting this education. So that's great. Uh, let's maybe up that just a little bit. Um, so, I mean, I'm not going to like tell you what confidence is because you're a psychologist, but like, confidence to me feels like um, equipped and then have enough reps to know that what I was taught is actually what, you know, will, will work as, as instructed, or at least I'm going to give it a great shot. It's going to work more often than not. So it just seems like, well, if we're not even educating, the reps are never going to come. Agree. I also think confidence probably requires some success stories, but if you never say yes to those patients, you never get the success stories. Like the fact that that kiddo was my first chronic pain patient and he was wildly like four years in bed, had been on 40 medications. Don't even get me started. He was a child. They had given him Thorazine. If you've never heard of Thorazine, Thorazine, when I, I worked on a locked inpatient unit, so if someone's having an acute psychotic episode, this is what we do in medicine, you like hold the person down and inject them with Thorazine because it just knocks you the F out. And that's what we're doing for like 16-year-olds with chronic pain, which is like, I wonder why he can't function. I wonder why he can't get out of bed. Anyway, when that kid got better, that injected me with major confidence. I was like, if, if I can help that kid, even just a tiny bit, like the fact that he got wildly better, I mean, that that was unexpected and amazing. But but even if it was just a little bit of support, even if it had just been like a little bit more functional or a little bit less depressed or whatever, it would have felt like a win, you know? So wow. I think we need, we need to have wins too. And share those wins, right? In, in, in learning. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how many healthcare providers do that. Like, I don't think I went around telling people, like, by the way, I cured this kid. It's like a miracle. I mean, his parents would call me crying. They invited me to his high school graduation. We all, like, cried the whole time. It's, like, really amazing, miraculous. But, big deal. Yeah, but I don't think I, like, went around telling people. So I don't know if we share wins as healthcare well, providers. I mean, you know, there's 12 people watching live. David Bailiff is watching Hashtag Live right now. And, you know, Hi. Tom's there. And so Sarah. So- Tom Bowen. I'm Bowen is here. He says, yes, you were in your element on the, uh, the, you were with Z dog. How was that? Who me? Yeah. <laughs> he's a rock star. That Coming guy's hot. fascinating. Coming in hot. Yeah. He's great. He's like, he's super smart. He's super on it. He has strong opinions and he states them strongly. We're both East coasters. I am a native New Yorker. I talk too fast. I wear too much black. I have really strong mm-hmm. opinions. I state them strongly. Where in New York? How well do you know it? I mean, I was born there. Oh, really? How did we not talk about this? I don't know. You said Bronx Zoo, and I was like, keep talking. What? Yeah, so I'm from north, about 20 minutes north of the Bronx. Where? Westchester County. Keep going. Where? Mamaroneck. <laughs> okay. Well, I used to bartend in Ardsley. What? I was the Ardsley Ale House. My uncle owned it. My uncle owned the Ardsley Ale House. Dude, that's mm. too funny. I you from Mercy. Mercy College? Mercy? That I don't it? know. Whatever it's in Ardsley. I was in anybody's school. You know, I was born in the Bronx. My dad was what's called first due at the Bronx Zoo. So he was a firefighter. And like if the Bronx Zoo was on fire, he would have shown up. Thankfully, it was not on fire at all. So he was like right down the street from the Bronx Zoo. Amazing. We're like, we're we're right here. This is where a we family are. family after my own heart. I like it. All right. So 
you uh, disclosed something yesterday on our phone call, very similar to one of my one of my uh, mentors in pediatric physical therapy. She had handouts and fold, manila envelopes or folders everywhere in her office. She had a handout for everything because nothing that like came off the shelf or whatever from a book, she didn't like it. So she's like, I don't like this. I'm going to make my own. You had that situation. And then you did, did some you did something different with your folders eventually. You made them like Voltron. Yeah, I hope that doesn't make me sound like a jerk. It's not it wasn't that I couldn't find like there was stuff that I liked. Like there are books out there that have CBT protocols, but there wasn't anything that really mixed together like the things Lorimer Mosley and Adrian Lowe were doing with the stuff that Melzack and Wall were doing with the stuff that I was reading from neuroscience papers with the stuff that I was reading from the CBT books. And I just wanted to put it all together. Right. So in my practice, and by the way, I see kids, adolescents and adults. Um, I happen to love the adolescent young adult population, but I, I see all ages, but I had all these handouts next to my office chair. So like, like tons of them, manila folders. And I finally just stapled them together into this like little mini workbook for the patients that were coming to see me. And one day it was actually the parents of one of my kids who said, why is this just for the patients in your practice? Like, why don't you make it available to everybody? And again, that imposter syndrome, I was like, who's going to, like, someone's going to publish me, you know, who's going to, who's going to read my book. But I pitched, I pitched this book. It was originally, it was the book for teens and kids, the chronic pain and illness workbook for teens. And I pitched it to a publisher, New Harbinger. I happen to deeply love them. They publish a lot of psychology and self-help books. They're phenomenal. And I pitched it to them and the, the, the guy who runs it said, why hasn't this ever been done? How has this never been done before? Like there are all these books out there for adults with pain and there's like nothing for kids. How has this never been done? So we did that book together. It was so amazing. I couldn't believe they were paying me money to like advocate for kids in pain, offer educational resources, put actually like skills and tools into the hands of these desperate families who have spent all this money unsuccessfully on like, you know, pills and procedures. And they were paying me to like, to publish this thing. It was absolutely wild. I mean, not a lot of money, by the way, authors. Tell them them the title. Tell me the title of that one. It's the Chronic Pain and Illness Workbook for Teens, and it's on okay. Amazon. And by the way, I should say, authors get 12 to 15% of books. Wow. So it's, this is not, you do not do this for money. You ha- this has to be a passion project. You have to just like really want to disseminate information. Um, yeah. And then they asked me if I would do one for adults and healthcare providers, and that's the pain management workbook. And I've never been so proud of anything I've ever done ever. And that came out in December during the pandemic, I almost didn't finish it. The deadlines, like, I don't know if this happened to you, McKay, but when the pandemic hit, my brain was like on overdrive, trying to absorb everything that was happening. And I couldn't concentrate on anything. Like I couldn't. Yeah. Okay. I thought you were going to say you were absorbing everything. I I used to read, I'm not trying to sound as dorky as Rachel, where I'm, I'm I'm a nerd with a lowercase n. (laughs) I'd read like two to three books a month. Or and because I was traveling a lot too, you know, and yeah. nothing to do. And you'd figure with a pandemic, I must be killing books. I read like two books in 2020, and and oh. and half-ass read it. Yeah, yeah. My analogy is like I think our brain. You know how your brain, like your computer, if you're like running too many programs at a time, it starts going really slow. I think that's what was happening. At least for me, I felt like my brain was running too many programs, and I couldn't focus on mm-hmm. anything. No, it was it was wild. And my publishers kept sending me drafts, and they were like, "So this draft is due in three weeks." And I was like, "You." I literally uh-huh. wrote them an email, and I was like, 
I don't know what's wrong with me, but like, I can't do it. I, like, this, I, also, this also goes into what I saw and it wasn't even, it was just like a post on Facebook and it was like, Hey, listen, like our lives changed. And a lot of people, myself included, well, I worked remotely anyway, but a lot of people started working remotely and like none of the expectations for workload changed. It was like, you will work. Now we give you a laptop and whatever and a, and a standing desk and you will work from home and you will produce the exact same amount that you did when you were here. And that like, that's not how humans work. Like when you put us in a weird situation, we act weird because that's, that's actually a normal thing to do. It's, if it's weird, act weird. And yeah, my brain didn't. So when you were like, Hey, drafts, you know, normal schedule, you were like, yeah, it's not so much. No, I also think weird is a very kind word. I think it was like a very traumatizing year for most people. Like there were a lot of, yeah. Sarah's agreeing. Yeah, right. Bandwidth was like incredibly hard to come by. So somehow the book was born anyway. It was born on its due date in December. I don't know how that happened. (laughs) I genuinely do not know. Like I had to force myself to like not look at the news and pretend that life was normal for like a couple of weeks just so I could get it done. I didn't think the book was going to happen is the truth. I was going to email them and be like, I really want to do this, but we're going to have to wait till there's no pandemic. And, you know, like I live in Oakland and Oakland was like on fire. People were getting shot. It was like, you know, the heart, the heart of the BLM movement, you know, it was like so much was happening. So much was happening, politics. And I don't have to tell you, everyone knows 2020 was. 2020 was like, dude, that's like 11 history book chapters at the same time. Right. Yeah. How do you publish a book? I don't know. I have no idea. I don't know how that right. happened. I really so what's don't. Been, let's, now we know like a little bit of like the, the background of Rachel. We've gone, we, we've talked a lot of weird stuff so far. We've talked about <laughs> monkeys inappropriately touching each other, Bronx Zoo, <laughs> science. Um, describe, how do you describe? Cause this is like an, like a, like a, not an easy question, but a general question. How do you describe biopsychosocial approach to pain medicine to providers? Like, for someone who's like, yeah, yeah, I know what that means. And they're like, do you? like? So how would you describe it? I absolutely will tell you. I also want to say one more last thing about the book that was born, even though it almost wasn't born. The pain management workbook one, the one that came out in December. I emailed on a whim. Oh, yeah. Cold emailed Laura Mermosley and Adrian Lowe, who happened to be two of my heroes. And I was like, hi, you don't know me, but I really like your work. Would you guys give me consult with me on my pain education chapters. And they did, they said yes. And they didn't charge me any money. And I just want to say, I doubt either of them are listening right now, but just in case deep thank yous and forever appreciation. So to have my, those chapters like vetted by people who I, yeah, it was a really big deal. So they contributed some consultation and edits and stuff. It was phenomenal and huge. Adrian's going to be on the show in a couple of weeks. He's rad. They're both rad. Hello. Yeah. Please tell him I said hello. So, Biopsychosocial, again, nerd capital N, but I love breaking down difficult concepts into simple terms because I think like I'm a fierce advocate for this idea that every single human being should understand pain. Pain is a ubiquitous human experience. We all have it. We should all understand it. No one ever explains it to us ever. So as a kid, I had some issues with chronic pain. As an adult, I had issues with chronic pain. Like I just feel like it happens to everybody at some point or another. And as the older we get, the more likely it becomes. So biopsychosocial. If you imagine there's a Venn diagram, I kind of want you to, will you draw it for me again? Will you, thank you, thank you, thank you. That's so useful, God, but yeah, yeah. So if you imagine a Venn diagram with three bubbles, we've got the biological or biomedical bubble, the psychological bubble, which of course has so much stigma and like loathing attached to it. 
<laughs> it's the bubble I live in, and then the social or the sociological bubble. And in the middle where those three overlap is where pain and health live. By the way, not just pain, but health. All, all health. Right, it makes sense, right. Depression, diabetes, everything lives in the middle, biopsychosocial. Human beings are biopsychosocial. Right, not, not, none is on its own island. Nothing, right. So some people take umbrage with the term biopsychosocial and say that we're like missing a lot of things. That's fine, I, I don't care. I just wanna move away from the biomedical model and I'll get more explicit. So the biomedical model is essentially just understanding and framing pain from a purely biological or biomedical perspective. So all pain, all things that cause pain are related to tissue damage or system dysfunction or inflammation or diet or something to do with your biology. But that's not what science says. Science says that those things are important. Of course, they're important. And there's two thirds of the, the model that are missing if you're just looking at the bio bubble. There's the whole psychosocial component of pain and health and being human that you're missing if you're only throwing pills and procedures at pain. Like that's just not gonna work. That's not how that works. That's never how it's worked. So again, we have this opioid epidemic and it's not a surprise. We've been throwing pills at pain for many decades and it isn't working. Like we know, we know yeah. it's working. Incidence of chronic pain is on the rise. Like actually incidence and during the pandemic it is through the roof, right? As you know, and opioid overdoses are also through the roof. So did the biomedical bubble in the psychological bubble. This is the one I think that's the least understood and I wish it were understood more. So in that bubble, we have thoughts about pain and about your body. You have emotions like your stressors, stress and anxiety and depression and trauma. You have memories of past pain experiences. There's all this research that shows that your hippocampus actually stores memories of past pain experiences. And that literally includes the first time you were held down and given an injection. And if you ask people, they will remember the first time they were held down, like no matter how small a child they were. Um, and also coping behaviors is in that bubble too. So as healthcare providers, we're always thinking about that and looking at that. So, you know, I see a lot of people with chronic pain who are homebound and they don't get off their couch and they don't get out of bed and they can't walk and they don't have sex and they don't see their friends and they can't work. So their coping behavior is sort of like being on the couch and taking medications for many months and years. And, and the sad thing is, is that they feel or have been told that that's the best they can do. Wow. So- yeah, and not to, so not to blame our patients. Like that, that's what they've been told that they should be doing. They should be resting, recovering, and taking their medication as scheduled. And that's that becomes their whole life. And and we know that's the opposite of what you need to do for chronic pain. Research because everything everything you just said there. They're they're not moving. So there's the bio, and then there's they're, they're you've rejected all their social. Yes. The funny thing is, if you really dive down. The, the overlap is artificial. Like emotions, what do you think emotions are? Emotions are chemicals in your body. They're hormones and neurotransmitters. It's Emotions are bio, like all the things. All the things are all the things. But but to help people understand, the, talking about it in a biopsychosocial, thank you. Thank you for the diagram. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's helpful to break it down that way because no one's even been told that their emotions have anything to do with their pain. And then there's the social, the sociological bubble, which I like to call the everything else bubble. So it's family it's friends, but it's also race and culture and ethnicity. There's a lot of beliefs about pain and health. It's also your entire environment and your context. So access to care, socioeconomic yeah. status. Like, does anyone think those things don't affect your health and your pain? Of course they do. Oh, we, right. We are learning. We are looking. We are at least looking. We, we've, science has known it. We're at least saying it out loud a lot recently. 
Totally. And also, like, it also is environmental stressors and early childhood trauma. So if you think about the ACEs studies, the adverse childhood events studies, these are like the series of papers that show if you have adverse childhood experiences and traumas, those are predictive of health conditions and chronic pain later in life. So we know that there's a relationship between all the things. We just don't talk about it that way. And when we treat pain, we literally continue, even in 2021, to throw pills and procedures at it, like sometimes exclusively, but definitely primarily. And it's it's such a shame. It makes me mad. Yeah. Yeah. Because we know better. We well, should, we should I, know better. Right. Wait. Right. Right. Like we should know better. Right. Right. I mean, the evidence is out there. The research is out there. But the lack of education, I think, is the main problem. Like if we're not educating the healthcare providers that are treating the patients, how never, are our patients ever going to know? Right. They'll just they'll never know. They'll never know. So so the reason I think that's important to teach is because we want our patients to buy into a psycho a biopsychosocial treatment model. We want them to not reject psychosocial interventions like cognitive behavioral therapy or mindfulness or you know, any, any of those things, pacing, pacing, like moving your body, any of the things. So, so where does it start? Does it start with the, uh, with the 96% of programs? And that was just medical schools, but you know, we didn't dig into PT schools. Uh, I've seen some polls online of, 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 of people asking, Hey, in your PT uh, program, how, you know, how much, how much would you say, uh, in terms of pain education you got? And they were measuring it in hours, right? Like, Hey, two hours. And, and like two to three hours was a lot. Yeah, that's, a that's one. That's a that's a, a half of a day. You know how much I got in my let's see how many years of, of training did I do in psychology? In my let's see, in my master's, I did two master's degrees and a PhD. Zero hours wow. of pain. zero hours of pain education. Zero, nothing. So how do we change? How do we change this? Yeah. Ultimately, our patients, if and I'm using the, like one of the big things now is not using the phrase not uh, use, not using the phrase non-compliant. Patient was non-compliant with pres- prescribed uh, regimen therapy. How do we change it so what they're hearing is something better? Like we need to educate the the providers first. So how how do we fix it? Besides obviously reading both of your books ad nauseum. <laughs> Look, I couldn't have said it better myself. No, just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Um, If I knew the answer to that question, I would be doing it. I actually, it is my sense that the answer is to all become advocates, fierce advocates and educators, which by the way, is what you're doing with this podcast, like spreading the word. You know, at the beginning, I was listening to you talk about how this podcast podcast ends up in weird corners of the world. So confused. No, but but that's exactly what we need. We need education disseminated. We need knowledge distributors and knowledge disseminators. And so people like you are are disseminating knowledge. That's that's what's happening. And if healthcare providers are listening, if patients are listening, that that's how it happens. And it starts with people having a feeling about it, I think. Like I'm angry about it personally as someone who's lived with pain as and as a healthcare provider. And that galvanizes me and motivates me to do shit like this. And by the way, I'm someone who had like paralyzing public speaking anxiety yeah. for most of my life. And like I don't now I'm like over it. I just I just think it's so important to spread the word and be advocates and be loud. And like I approached U- the UCSF School of Medicine and I was like we need to change the education system. So now I'm teaching a class for medical residents on pain education and we're publishing a paper on it. And I'm like, I just started, I just got hired as um, pain education faculty at Dartmouth and we're doing a 10 course series 
that's right for healthcare providers on but but that's just me being pushy and me just like i literally am cold emailing people being like hey do you have pain education do you mind if i provide some like that's that's what's happening so and it's like reaching out to people like you and being like you have this platform where you can reach people maybe we can make change and Correct. and i should also say that i think collaboration cross discipline cross discipline collaboration important is critical. So like PTs need to be talking to OTs, need to be talking to psychologists, need to be talking to physicians. And so stuff like this needs to happen more. So yeah. like, yeah, so that's yeah. that's what I think needs to happen. It starts with knowledge dissemination because we, we started, we, we, we mentioned earlier, it was, well, why do, why do some PTs say, no, 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 I don't, I don't want those patients. It's probably, they don't want to not help someone. They don't feel like they, they have this imposter syndrome. Like I am not equipped send them oh you know what there's a pain person down the street and that person down the street is like gimme 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 but we need all of us to at least be better we need to raise the floor as we raise the ceiling Ooh, love that look at that uh -huh. love it no i love it that's why you're the radio guy that's why i'm the radio guy also my mom told me i had the face for radio to <laughs> that's not very nice she never actually said that <laughs> but and she hates when I say that. She's like, people are going to think I said that. And I'm like, no, nah, no, nah, everybody understands. And then actually, people actually, in fact, do think she said that. She never actually said that. Well, you just said that she said that, so it might be confusing for people. I know. And I've said it a lot. But it's a joke. Now. It's a joke. My, my mom Very would funny. never say, you got this radio. Um, of course not. But here's the best part. As we're talking about this, and for people watching live, here's the cool part about this. I'm watching Sarah and Tom go back and forth in the comments, sharing information because you and I are having this conversation. That That's why, right. That is why you do what you do. And I do what I do because we're like, Hey, well, for me, I'm like, Hey, I, I wish other people knew stuff. Jimmy, are you an expert? No, but I know how to put on a podcast. So bring me the people who are smart because you can have that conversation and then it spreads to weird places. But if no one says it, or if just one person writes a, if one person writes a book, 10,000 people might know about it. Here's the thing. 10,000 people ain't enough. It, it needs to be more than 10,000 people. So we need, lot. Right. Like, like the fact that you're cold calling Dartmouth, ballsy move, by the way. Thank like, you. Well done. But, and then Dartmouth probably, hopefully, on the other end of that call is someone going, do we, do we have anything on pain? No. Okay. Let's email this Rachel girl back. Like, oh, shit. Yeah. Good call. So we need more of that. We need people yeah. that, and I tell people, we talked about this on other episodes, like why is this podcast successful? Why is any podcast successful? You need to, you need to have something that you care about and then plow through it. Yeah. Passion and repeat. Like be, be, get people who are super smart about something yeah. and passionate and let them talk about what they're smart and passionate about. Totally. Yeah. Also, alcohol helps. <laughs> That's just my own thing. Um, so non-pharmacological non the alcohol also helps with the non-pharmacological treatments for pain those are terribly important that's where every pt is going to light up because they go yeah we don't prescribe we don't prescribe medication um the role there if we focus on movement because now you got to know kya right know your audience you're talking to mostly pts right now plus tom and sarah in the comment section below which i love them i like you guys already um what do you what do you what do you say to pts like hey you got you, you said cross discipline what would you say to pts if you were doing an in-service um the comment i get most i would say from pts is but is this outside my lane and i sort of like love talking about that because um i think it's useful to think about what 
is professionally appropriate. Like I'm not going to, I'm not going to do surgery. That's no. way outside my lane. And there's mm-hmm. most of the things PT do, PTs do are outside of my lane. But I do think there's this sweet spot. This like over, if there's a Venn diagram, thank you. Thank you. I'm the same. Good, good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If there's a Venn diagram, there's this sweet spot where what I do as a pain psychologist and what you guys do as PTs overlap. There's significant overlap, by yeah. the way, because you guys are motivators and you're you're getting people interviewers and you know and we spend a lot of, we like to tell we like to pat ourselves in the back we spend a lot of time with our patients and like you know when you're working out with someone you're doing they tell you things yeah so if you oh, yeah to, if that window's open what are you going to put what are you going to slide through it yeah i had a pelvic health pt i went to the san diego pain summit which i happen to love so i want to do a plug for it because i love the san diego pain summit that, yeah i've heard a lot of good things it's phenomenal i went to the san diego pain summit and a pelvic health pt told me that one of her clients recently told her that her pelvic pain started not long after she was raped and she wanted to talk about her rape and the the pt said to me like that seems like psychology territory like what do i do right and like the patient was crying and so the the overlap is actually bigger bigger than we all think like of course you guys are talking about like emotional health and physical health at the same time always you can't tease them apart we're all trying to that isn't a thing so anyway that that human in front of you does not know how to take those things apart they can't because the right because the brain is connected to the body 100 percent of the time it's never not connected so of course (laughs) of course your physical and emotional health are connected it's actually my pet peeve to talk about mental health as if it has nothing to do with physical health you can't separate those things the brain is located in the skull the brain is connected to the body a hundred percent of the time it's never not if it is disconnected you've got real problems trouble yeah so so the thing that I do in my practice the most is cognitive behavioral therapy. And a lot of people have a lot of opinions about cognitive behavioral therapy. The reason I'm saying it instead of uh, abbreviating it is because when I say CBT, everyone thinks I'm saying CBD and That's that different. is something different. That is different, different, different. CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. So there's a lot of evidence for CBT for chronic pain. It's also a treatment for anxiety and depression and trauma and sleep and family dysfunction. And like, wow, is it surprising to anyone who treats pain that all of those things are connected when it comes to chronic pain? No. So um, the issue with cognitive behavioral therapy, and I'm going to tell you what it is. It's a scientifically research supported, I'm trying not to use the term evidence-based because people don't like that either. Scientifically supported treatment for chronic pain has a lot of evidence. it bridges the gap between medicine and psychology. So it involves a lot of tools for managing pain. It involves pain education. Um, it's even It even involves like how you can help caregivers help patients with pain. There's like a lot of that stuff, which I really love. It also does a lot of, there's a lot of lifestyle management. So like sleep and nutrition and exercise that's folded into cognitive behavioral therapy also. Um, and again, it's a non-pharmacological treatment, which is my jam because I feel like people have enough medications. They don't need me to give them anymore. Um, But the research on CBT is frustrating to read. Uh, The reason it's frustrating to read and the reason there's so much controversy is because there is no operational definition of CBT. There is not one. No. No. So if you go through the papers, different research studies have different definitions of this treatment they're calling CBT. 
one treatment is for their different lengths. Like one is for six weeks. One is for six months. They uh, are delivered by different providers. Like some are delivered by pain psychologists. Some are by that intern that just started last month and needs to earn hours. Some are delivered by social workers. Some are, I mean, it's just like so inconsistent. Some CBT protocols involve biofeedback, which I happen to love as a treatment for chronic pain. We can talk about that if you want. And some do not. I mean, it's just like, it just, we're not comparing apples to apples. So if you look at the research, there are all these meta-analyses and it's like a small effect size. And people will say, oh, it's a small effect size. That means it's not clinically useful or it's not effective. And I'm like, y'all aren't reading your research. Like go do a deep dive, look at the research. CBT is effective pretty much in every study for helping with functionality and pain, which I think is our goal. That's but pretty much what we aim at. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's our goal. Also, I can't imagine how it would be bad to send a patient to someone who is supportive, going to talk to them, help them with their emotional and physical health. Like I just, I can't find a downside. So like for the, for the naysayers, you can go suck an egg. That's how I feel. Wow. We are dropping <laughs> notes. I like that. <laughs> Was that too aggressive? I'm sorry. Hey, Did I mention I'm a New Yorker and I live near the Bronx? <laughs> Well, fellow fellow New Yorker uh, from across the river, New Jersey and Sky Donovan says the more we collaborate with other disciplines, the better outcomes for patients. And she'll be using this as required listening. I'm guessing she means that in her PT program. So look at that. You just affected a PT program. Thank you, Jennifer. I really appreciate that. The live comments are really cool. It's so nice yeah. to interact with people. Yeah. And Sarah says, you describe the issue you have with CBD. Yeah. Uh, Sky did her, um, did her uh, PhD in the Bronx. Nice. See, it all full. It's all full circle. Full, we're all related, ultimately. All right. You mentioned um, CBT. We will talk about CBD in a little bit, but we're talking about CBT. Uh, jump to biofeedback, and then we'll do mindfulness. Like what? Like let's talk about those three. So let's go to biofeedback since you brought it up. Okay. So just to say, CBT. The reason I like it is because it folds in everything. Like CBT is sort of like this amazing toolbox, and you can put anything in it. So I use biofeedback as a CBT provider. Some CBT. Some CBT providers do not. So biofeedback, um, I've heard used a couple say, different ways. Yeah. Yeah, I'll say what it is. But I also want to make sure to say I do not pretend that CBT is a magic bullet. It is not. And I think I said this before, but I just I don't want people to think that I'm some sort of like arrogant provider that thinks that like I have the answer. I don't have the answer. There's a lot of patients who do not like CBT and it doesn't work for them and it doesn't resonate. And that's okay too. But what I like about it is it has so many components and so many options. So you're offering the pain education piece up front. You're offering all of these tools and tips and resources. You're offering, you know, the lifestyle changes and the behavioral changes and people can pick and choose. So, and it can be really individualized. Like you said, no two people are the same. So you're not, you're never doing it the same way, but I really like that. So, so I happen to really like it as a treatment, um, sort of like a framework for treatment. Okay. So biofeedback, biofeedback was uh, a mystery to me when I first started doing chronic pain work. And a lot of people were saying to me, if you're treating people with chronic pain, you should refer them to a biofeedback provider. And I said, I do not send my patients to anything that I do not understand. So I went to, yeah, thank you. So I went to a biofeedback provider and he sat me down in his chair and he said, I, I was like, well, what is biofeedback? So biofeedback is this process by which we get feedback about our biological systems. So 
Biofeedback teaches you to have control over biological processes that were formerly unconscious, like skin temperature and heart rate and breathing and galvanic skin response, which is the lie detector test thing, just right. in case you need to pass yeah. a lie detector test. Um, didn't learn it from me. Um, <laughs> yeah. So all those things, like in the past, you know, if you have cold hands, you like turn up the heat or you put on gloves or whatever. But when you learn biofeedback, you learn to warm your hands. So sat down in the chair. He said, I know. He said, uh, Rachel, I am going to teach you to warm your hands to 90 degrees. And this is Dr. Eric Pepper. He's a professor at the University of San Francisco. I happen to love him deeply. He's become one of my favorite mentors of all time. He said, I'm going to teach you to warm your hands to 90 degrees. And I have chronically cold hands. Uh, and I looked at him and I said, listen, I'm a scientist. I don't believe in voodoo. Huh. I don't really know what this is, but, and he was like, okay, well, close your eyes. And he hooked me up to this machine and, you know, it was measuring all these things, skin temperature, galvanic skin response, muscle tension, all these things. And he had, he did some relaxation exercises. He did some um, autogenic phrases, which is like where you, he teaches you to say things to yourself. Like my arms are heavy and warm. My hands are getting hotter and hotter and, and, whatever. Um, relaxation. Oh, and imagery. So like you imagine your hands filling with like a warm fluid. You imagine your hands over a fire. It's so annoying. I've been doing this for so long that now just talking about it, my hands no. get red and hot. Yes. True story. I can feel it happening. So, you know, literally within two sessions, I was warming my hands to 90 degrees. And the crazy thing about that is you're in a chair hooked up to a machine and you're looking at the numbers rising. You cannot deny it's happening. And that's the feedback part. And it is so powerful. It's much more powerful, in my opinion, than CBT, because in CBT, I can say your thoughts impact your body. But in biofeedback, you say to someone, your thoughts impact your body. And I can show you because you're getting feedback. So he did the opposite too. He had me think really stressful thoughts. He had me remember really stressful traumatic memories and my hand temperature plummeted. So for example, your thoughts affect your temperature, your thoughts affect muscle tension, your thoughts affect pain 100% of the time. But but humans need proof. Yes. Of course. Biofeedback is a way of giving your patients proof that their thoughts affect their body and their well, if you start if you start there you, I mean, you don't even need to discuss buy-in anymore. You got it, friend. Because the proof's in the pudding. Proof's this is making me think, because there was some point in my life, I grew up in upstate, I grew up in New York, and there was some point when I, well, as a kid, I didn't care about cold, and then one day, cold was miserable to me. Like, a 40-degree day would chill my bones. And I'm guessing there's something to do that with that. Like, I can't warm myself up. Mm. Because I probably don't know how. You can learn biofeedback. All right. Yeah. So now when I teach my patients hand warming and I teach all of them hand warming because it's so powerful, they well, say, hello, it's useful. It's useful, but it's also like that they always say, if I can make fireballs with my hands, what else can I do with my mind? And that's all you want people to believe when they're living with pain, that they have oh, agency. The they have control over their bodies and they didn't know it and they're stuck on all these pills and they're stuck at home and they feel that they have no power and that's what pain does pain takes your power away you have no power over your body you have no control over your life and your work and your sex life and your relationships and your whatever and when you're teaching someone cbt and biofeedback and all these things what you're doing is you're giving them their power back that's what you're doing you're saying that you have more control over your body and your pain than you realized
and listen. Listen to what Rachel just said. If you are a provider who is like, I don't feel confident or competent to help those people with comp, uh, with chronic pain, if you were able to give someone that, you would look, you would seek out patients to treat them with chronic pain. Because you feel so empowered as a provider too. Right. It's so you're, you're 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 looking to change the mindset of providers to give to make sure they're open enough to get the tools to be able to then go. Okay, I am confident enough that I am, I at least have the basic tools to try this. Yep. And, and real confidence only comes when you try it a lot and see results. Totally agree. Wow. Yeah, it's powerful. So I put the biofeedback thing in the pain management workbook because I was like, every PT, every nurse, every physician, every psychologist, every therapist should be able to teach their patients hand warming. This is not rocket science. Literally, this guy just taught it to me in like seven minutes. Like everyone... We just don't know. We just don't get taught. Right. We don't. It's just an extra tool. It's just an extra tool. So it's in there. Yeah. Pain All right. And so you, you mentioned mindfulness. Let's talk about that as the last part of you know CBT and in, in, in the toolbox of CBT. Great. So I always ask people if anyone has ever explained mindfulness to them. Can I ask you what is your? And I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but I sort right. of am. What's your understanding of what mindfulness is? I'm just really deeply curious to know. Um. You know sort of internally assessing where I am and how things are affecting me and how I'm reacting to those things. Great. Perf that's perfectly said. Okay, um, yeah. No. <laughs> you are on the spot. Ah, ha, ha. You ask, you think you ask all the questions. Sometimes <laughs> I ask the questions. Yeah. But you, when you throw words around, you got to know what they mean. Okay. No. But that's the thing about mindfulness is it's like talked about all the time. It's just like always talked about. So so I just want to say the way I end up teaching mindfulness, I teach like uh, I've been teaching workshops, like pain education workshops for healthcare providers. So the way I teach mindfulness is, ready? So in any given moment, your mind is thinking about a million things and that's your mind's job is to think about stuff. So oftentimes, if you're someone who can't sleep, you'll notice that your brain shoots you that way into the past. And you're like, why did I do that? Why did I say that? I should have done X, Y, and Z. I didn't do that, blah, 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 blah. That's the past. Your mind goes there. And by the way, it's very stressful, the past. You can't do anything about it. All those things already happened. So what happens to your stress and anxiety level? They go up. What does that do to pain? Amplifies pain. That's, that's what all the neuroscience research says, right? Your emotions affect your pain. Negative emotions amplify pain. The other thing your brain loves to do is to shoot off that way into the future. What am I having for dinner? What's going to happen later? What's going to happen to me next year? When is this pandemic going to end? How, what, you know, what's going to happen to me in my life? It's very common to think about the future. Future, also very stressful. We can't control it. Control it. We, we don't know what's going to happen. So stress and anxiety go up. What happens to pain? Pain amplifies. So brain loves going in these two directions. Mindfulness is the muscle you use. Uh, Pull your brain from that way. Pull your brain from that way and just be right here. Here I am on this really rad podcast with Jimmy McKay. Told you I'd work, <laughs> I'd work in the word rad at some point. And we're talking about these cool and interesting things. And mindfulness, as you said, is being aware of your internal and external environments in every given moment without judgment, which is really, really hard. Very and hard. Just noticing your thoughts, noticing your emotions, noticing your physical sensations, not pushing them away and just being with them, which is incredibly challenging. But research shows that it can really help 
with chronic pain. And in my mind, at least part of that is this like cognitive thing that's happening where you're exercising your prefrontal cortex and just bringing your attention into the present moment, internal, external, contextual, without pushing anything away or judging it. We all, as you, as you are describing that def the better, de I'll, I'll call it a better definition of mindfulness. Just, I just have been thinking about it for a long time. That's what the and brain does. hundred percent of the time. <laughs> things. That's what the brain does. But it, but it makes, it makes sense. I mean, I even find myself, and of course, everything's always about me because, you know, it's always about the, the theoretical me. I do so, the same thing and I, I'll look back at great podcast interviews and I'm like, and like, were you super prepared? I was like, I was kind of prepared. And I'm like, what happened? Like, I just kind of listened. And people will ask me, do you know what you're going to ask next? And I'm like, not really. When I really don't know what I'm going to ask next, that's kind of where the magic happens. Where it's like, yeah, I kind of know, like, there's like four topics, right? We had you fill out a form. And I'm like, yeah, give me like four things to like poke on. But I could ease, and there have been some interviews where maybe I was too stressed out or the guest was too stressed out. Maybe I didn't, I didn't, I didn't like lower their anxiety to be comfortable enough where, I was really rigid and you could see if there was something going on with my biopsychosocial, we'll just call it a me with me because I am bio and psychosocial where that wouldn't have gone well because right. I'm worried about why did I ask that or what, what am I going to ask next? It's like, are you listening right. to what you're saying now? If the answer is no, you're missing the thing. Yeah. Yep. I That's like true. that definition of mindfulness. Yeah. So just as I've said with everything else, not everyone loves mindfulness. It is not a magic cure. Ooh, Jennifer has a crush on me. That's like the nicest compliment I've ever gotten. And she dropped in a hashtag intellectual infatuation. I've never heard that term. I'm going to use it all the time now. Intellectual infatuation is great. So Sky, Sky was my uh, my advisor in PT school. Oh, wow. Hi, Sky. That's and then awesome. Sarah, Sarah also agrees. Um, nice. Yeah, but, but just to say, like, I am not also trying to pretend that mindfulness is some magic panacea like there is no magic cure for pain but but I think what we can do is give our patients tools to turn down the pain volume and these have been shown to be effective for a lot of people a lot of the time so let's just give people tools and then they can pick and choose which ones are good for them and also like when you and you mentioned this at the top with with your case study with that kid who hadn't left you know bed in four years when you give someone and that was an extreme example right yep. yeah like, if you give someone 10 percent improvement in oh pain, yeah yeah like, that's a huge deal Dude, 10% better. There's a book that I think called 10% better. Everyone bought it. Like <laughs> you have it. 10% happiness. Yeah. 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 I mean, no offense to anyone. I didn't love the book. That's not the point. I haven't but, read it yet. So thank you. I'll yeah. I didn't love it, but that's not the point. I mean, I just feel like, like if we can improve our patients by even 10% or give them some tools and Big help deal. them feel more empowered and just sit or just tell them, by the way, you have more control and power than you thought you had. What a great gift to give someone just that. Like, because and like the overarching theme, I think I even we, we we titled this episode like how to fix a broken system. And even Rachel's like, hey, listen, I, if I knew how to fix the system, but like empowering people and letting them know that like that's a that's a big way to change a system. It's also scalable, right? Because if you can get people to believe this and to act on it, yeah, because they've been told, as you mentioned, take these pills, sit down, rest, recover, don't do that, do do this that takes the person out of it. I am now just a, a person doing a thing and I have, I am, I am now not an active participant in my life or my recovery. And I, now if, but if I don't feel like I'm a, a participant, I'm just going to go along with it. Whatever happens to me, I guess I'll accept. Yeah. 
No, it's a sad state of affairs. And there's like more than 100 million Americans living with chronic pain. And um, yeah, a lot of people really believe understandably that the pills are the only solution. And I like, and again, like I am not a not like an anti-opioid person. I, I think I'm just like a, why aren't we doing this more responsibly, more ethically, and like in a more educated way, you know? Well, whenever, whenever we're doing one thing a lot, you have to say this can't be the only way. There, there, there has to be a different way. So if you do, if you do one thing and it's not working, okay, like, I think it was Einstein said, like, if you only see one solution to a problem, you don't understand the problem. That's a great quote. I'm pretty sure it was Einstein. Someone will correct great. me if that's not, if that's not it. I so. hope so, but I want to quote it. I also want to quote intellectual infatuation. I'm going to go around saying both of those things for the next at least year, <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> if not longer. <laughs> we just talked about CBT. Yeah. Now I get to mention our sponsors who are into CBD. Ah. So this, this is CBDRX for you. They're your CBD store. They are thinking the same way, which is people are using CBD like over the counter. And they're like, do you know how that might affect someone's, what they're telling you in your treatment? And you're like, yeah. And like, but do you? And you're like, no, I don't. If you're a therapist and you're like, no, I don't. Like, okay, well, maybe you should do that. So it's a physician organization or physician run organization or created organization and uh, education. So CBDRX4U.com. We did a whole episode on CBD uh, a, a while ago. And you know, it's good when I mispronounce, I called it, it's can, can, cannabin, cannabinoids and I mispronounced it. And they were like, yeah, no. So we're going to stop you right there in the first 30 seconds of your own episode. I was like, well, cool. So that, but that proved the point is I didn't understand it. Uh, so we take pharmacology and PT school. This is just one thing that now is over the counter a lot of places. So check it online, cbdrxforyou.com. They're going to start giving away pint glasses with us. So people sign up and they win them at ptpintcast.com. Um, what else? What, we'll wrap up before we get to the, like the fun game part at the end. I don't even know if you know if there's a game part at the end, but like a game show. Um, frequently asked question or like the most common thing that you hear from providers when they find out about you and what you do, what are the things like, hey, uh, this, what are the things? What are the yeah. frequently asked? The number one question I get asked is, oh, you're a pain psychologist, so do you treat like emotional trauma? Do you treat emotional pain or physical pain? That's the question I get the most. Like, yes. But but by like but by peers also all the time. And then I just like you should see me. I just like launch into my soapbox. I'm like, well, guess what? There's no such thing as pain that's purely physical. It's all also emotional. It's filtered through your limbic system. All pain is physical and emotional. And usually they're like wow, no one's ever told me that before. That makes so much sense because when I had this chronic back pain, it always flared when I was like really stressed out or when I had a big fight with my husband or like whatever, you know. That's, that's got to feel, well, simultaneously scary that no one's ever told them that, but that no, they're at least open enough to go, oh shit, no one's ever told me that. Like I should, this is something I should probably pay attention to here. So what I found, yes, that's exactly right. What I found is that A, nobody, and I do mean nobody, has ever been taught about pain. Like no one I've ever said this to ever, including healthcare providers. Like just like it doesn't get taught. Um, I shouldn't use ever or never. Of course, I've bumped into healthcare providers who know a lot more about pain than I do. So let me catch myself on that one. Well, um, yeah, let me cut that out. Uh, but it is really rewarding when people sort of like have this experience where they connect these things that they knew already were true. And what's really cool is that as soon as you say that to someone, it's so intuitive and so obvious that everyone's like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah of, course, of course pain is biopsychosocial. Like, like 
most people don't argue against that because it's just so clearly true, like that all of these factors contribute to this experience that you have because pain is actually defined as an experience. Like it's this human experience and all the things affect all the things. Like we are integrated, all the things are connected. So yes, that makes, so when you explain it and people have this like, oh yeah, of course moment, it is It's like really nice, really validating. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it. That's hearts and minds. That's, that's how you get, that's how you're going to change the system. Yeah. It's going to be communicating and educating and, and podcasts. Yeah. Like, not just this podcast, but I mean like conversation, it's conversation over presentation, I think. Yeah. Oh, maybe. I don't know. I think maybe it's some combination of both because I think people like tune in to stuff like this, you know, and, and I can have casual conversations for the rest of my life with like one or two people and I won't disseminate information in an effective way. Well, you're saying, I mean, again, that statistic still lands with me 96%. So it needs to be presented in that way. It, it yeah. First of all, it needs to be presented in some way in 96% yeah. of the programs that are not doing it. Well, so the other thing that I find, like I give grand rounds at hospitals a lot and I like get asked to do talks at conferences and stuff, which is really wonderful. And I love doing it. Like I, you can tell I love teaching. I think it's so important and I just love doing it. Like I love finding language to explain really complicated things in ways that are really digestible and approachable. Um, but I don't know if it sticks. Like, like I know this may sound a little pessimistic, but like, I'm not sure I'm like having that much of an impact. Like I want to, I just don't know how much pain psychology is going to actually catch on at the end of the day. Like if I had billions of dollars, like big pharma does, to, like big pharma has marketed and ingrained in all of our minds that right. pain, pain is biomedical and it requires a biomedical solution. No. If you believe that, you're going to take and prescribe a pill for pain. And I think healthcare has been bought by big pharma. And if I had billions of dollars, I would buy y'all and I would like convince you that pain is biopsychosocial and you need to treat it from a biopsychosocial approach. But I'll never, I'll never be able to do what big pharma has done. So I sometimes like sort of feel discouraged. Like I'm a drop, a drop in an ocean. Like, like, am I going to make a difference? You know, you're you're dropping though. You're doing, you're doing a thing. (laughs) And, and, and what I always tell people, and we've talked about this before, in different context is it's when someone, when the product you're selling and it can be a product or information, information can be your product. If yeah. you're an educator, um, when someone buys, you know, sees a direct line and of, of a benefit to their product and they tell someone else when yeah. someone you treat and then go home, goes home and tells their wife yeah. or, their, or their cousin, actually, I think you should do that like that. You can't, you, it's hard to pay for that because that they've earned that trust. That's that next level. That's the next level in marketing. And I'm using air quotes for the podcast audience. That's what you've got to do. And that's all you can. I mean, Susan chiming in saying, yeah, a drop, a drop creates a ripple, a ripple creates a wave and a rave, a wave, I don't is big. And you can, thank you, Susan. a Susan, rave. I think a rave, a rave and a wave are a little different. They are different, but there know, have to be glow. If it's a rave, you need like glow sticks and like bunny you know, ears. We used to go to raves because I never did. I want to. If you if you I've know of one to. when the pandemic ends, I want to go to a rave. I've never been. I want to go. I've never been to a rave. <laughs> they would laugh at me at a rave, Rachel. <laughs> uh, website Listen. people can find out more in contact with you. Zoffness.com. Z o f f n e s s dot com. The real doc Zoff on Instagram or Dr. Zodness. Is it is that right? Zodness? Zoffness. No, that's definitely like a misspelling. Zoffness. On there Twitter, I'm at on Twitter, I'm at Dr. Zoffness. And the is. website is Zoffness.com. You got it. And on Instagram, I'm at the real Doc Zoff because I couldn't think of a better name at the time. But that's that, pretty good. It's not bad. All right. Are it's you ready bad. for the game show portion of the show? Uh yes. Can I that. say the can I say the names of the books one more time? Oh yes, yes, absolutely. 
the chronic pain and illness workbook for teens is the one for kids and for parents and for healthcare providers who are working with kids. And the pain management workbook is the workbook for adults with pain and for healthcare providers working with adults with pain. Yes. And we're going to make sure we put the, uh, the links to those. Look at that. There it is. Um, we'll put the links to those in the show notes as well, because I can hear people. I can hear people actually jumping on Amazon right now to grab those things. Affordable, accessible healthcare is the model of the future. Maybe not, be. but here's hoping. Yeah. Hopefully. It's got to be. Hopefully. Okay. Give me. All right. Let's do three questions. Here we go. Okay. Ready. Thanks to our friends from Fusion Medical Staffing. Find them online at fusionmedstaff.com. Uh, where there are people, there needs uh, there's a need for physical therapy. Um, do what you want to do where you want to do it. I, I like to say test drive a part of the country. Let's say you're from New York. Say you're in New York. You're from the Bronx. But you're like, hey, I've heard about this Pacific Northwest place. Go get a job there for like three months and like get paid to like test drive and kick the tires of that place. And then if you don't like it, I don't know, go somewhere else. Uh, they also have complete job transparency. They're just going to tell you, here's who you're working with. Here's how much you're getting paid. Here's where it is. There's the job. Instead of making you jump through all these hoops, they don't want to jump through hoops. So fusionmedstaff.com for three questions. All right. First question, Rachel, is a where question. You mentioned a rave, and that's fine. But where is somewhere you can't wait to go vacation? Somewhere in the 50 U.S. states, once everything's safe to move about the country. Where are you going? Wow, it's got to be in the 50 states. Uh, it doesn't have to be. Where else? I really want to go to Tahiti. I've never been to Tahiti. Me yeah. or I? Yeah, I want to go. Okay. Like the glass-bottomed huts where you can see all. Do you think those are real? Yeah. Like they have those because I've seen yeah. them on Airbnb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to go there. All right. Yeah. That's okay. a pretty good answer. I'll Send take it there. Thank you. Okay. Second thanks. question is a what question? Mm. Uh, what is something someone should watch, listen to, or read? Like a book, movie, podcast doesn't even have to be like professionally applicable just something that you're like hey you would get value if you watched this or read this or listened to this uh two books popped into my head i said one before it's science the it's um pain the science of suffering okay. by patrick wall is one uh i happen to just really love that book and i think it explains a lot of things really really well in a way that i've never heard anyone else explain and uh mosley has a video called tame the beast that i happen to really love and a ted talk that i also really love um, his TED Talk, I can't remember the title of it, but it's a TED Adelaide, if I remember correctly, and it's worth watching for people who are interested in understanding pain better. Perfect. All right. Yeah. Now, the final question on three questions is a who question. Who is someone the audience should know more about? Um, Jane Goodall. I happen to love her. She was um, one of the first women in science to study animal behavior. I, I just worship her. Like I saw her speak once at the Museum of Natural History and she like captured my heart. She's just amazing. That, she's she's that doing so much for conservation. That was one of my favorite, that was one of my favorite buildings in New York. I, I used to live on 74th in Amsterdam. So I used to walk to the Museum of Natural History and I loved it. Do you and remember? She, what? Go ahead. You remember I said I wrote briefly for a science magazine. I wrote for Natural History Magazine. That was my, that was my magazine. It was amazing. They let me like write some articles. It was so cool. That is cool. She had a great quote, too. Someone asked her, and I might butcher this, but someone asked Jane Goodall, um, what was the point that we became civilized? And they then the person who was writing this who asked the question said she thought they thought that Jane Goodall was going to say 
um, we're not yet tools no she said like <laughs> with tools or something or whatever and she responded it was the first time that she had ever seen a femur that had healed because it meant it meant that we were civilized enough to take care of something that would have died without the group's help and i was like totally a jane goodall answer because i would have said like a spear or something stupid but jane goodall answered it better than I remember that A and B, I want to point out that that is the social part of pain and medicine. That's right. Community, collaboration, totally. People helping people, that is social medicine. And by the way, social medicine, not for nothing. The reason so many people were suffering during the pandemic is because we were all cut off from each other. We are a deeply social animal and we need each other to survive yeah totally social social medicine is real everyone should be leaning on their people and hanging out with their people even if it's virtually as much as possible i love that all right last thing we do on the show is the parting shot let's be prepared Parting Shot is brought to you by our friends at the Academy of Orthopedic Physical Therapy. Find them online at orthopt.org. They've got uh, current concepts of orthopedic physical therapy. If you're looking to up your orthopedic game, uh, current concepts is a great, clear path, up-to-date evidence in orthopedics. If you're looking to uh, try to take that OCS exam, which I know a lot of you every year, you're like, ah, maybe this year. Uh, Give it a rip. Try current concepts. It'll lead you right down that path to what you need to know so you can treat your orthopedic patients better so find them online again orthopt.org all right rachel parting shot is like your last chance for a mic drop moment or a soapbox moment you told me a little bit of a soapbox moment there uh but what would you want to leave this audience with as we wrap up tonight um that we need each other we need to work cross-discipline and support each other and reach out to each other and that pain is never a purely physical experience it's also emotional too um and that if we're continuing to treat pain from a purely biomedical perspective we are missing two-thirds of the pain problem wow see when you put it like that of course it makes sense uh Thank rachel you. zoffness again that website zoffness.com i would love to have you back just because you bring a lot of energy and i like it so why don't Thank we just have you back in a little bit you pick the next topic whatever you want to geek out nerd with a capital n we'll do it that sounds great love it Rachel, thanks for the time. Appreciate it. So much fun. Love the PT Pinecast? Yes. Yes. Support the show by telling a friend or by leaving a review on iTunes or Google Play. All right. Show today brought to you by the Brooks Institute of Higher Learning, an innovator in providing advanced post-professional education. Brooks IHL offering continuing education courses in numerous specialty areas, six PT residency programs, an OMPT fellowship, as well as challenging but rewarding internships. The IHL specializes in the translation of information from evidence to patient management, Learn what they can do for you to support your professional development at brooksihl.org. Our home on the internet. ptpinecast.com. Created by Build PT. Build PT provides marketing services specifically for private practice PTs. From website development and hosting. Providing content marketing solutions for PT clinics across the country. See what Build PT can do for you today at buildpt.com. The PT Pinecast is a product of PT Pinecast, LLC. It's poured fresh by me, physical therapist, Jimmy McKay.
Ingredients are sourced by our chief connections officer, Sky Donovan from Marymount University. And it's brewed fresh by producer and physical therapist, Juliet Dassinger. And by producer and creator, second year PT student, Bridget Nolan from Sacred Heart University. PT Pintcast is a podcast that saves physical therapists from missing out on amazing insight, remarkable ideas, and motivational stories. Make sure to follow us online at PT Pinecast and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. I absolutely love you. I love you, love you, love you. It's it's awesome. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. And if you found value in the show, all we ask is that you tell a friend. This has been another pour from the PT Pinecast. The PT Pinecast is intended for educational purposes only. No clinical decision-making should be based solely on one source. While care is taken to ensure accuracy, factual errors can be present. More on the show at ptpinecast.com.